Welcome to Movie Maker. I'm Tim Malloy, and today our guest is Isabel Castro, whose new documentary, Miha, is one of the best I've seen at the Sundance Film Festival this year. Miha, which is Spanish for daughter, tells the story of Doris Munoz, a young music manager whose undocumented family relies on her ability to discover new pop stars. When we meet her, she's thriving with her biggest client, singer-songwriter Cuco, but then she suffers serious career setbacks. She soon discovers a raw but very talented singer-songwriter named Jax Haupt, another daughter of immigrants who is doing everything she can to break into the music industry. Isabel Castro is an award-winning journalist and documentarian who has worked for the New York Times and Vice, focusing especially on stories of immigration. Miha is one of my favorite recent documentaries because of how quickly it immerses you in Doris's life. She's a sharp, warm, very funny person who has this quality where you just immediately want to be friends with her. And then as you meet her family, you become incredibly invested in their pursuit of citizenship and the American dream. By the end of Miha, you're rooting not just for them, but for the best and most welcoming version of America. And now, here's Isabel Castro, director of Miha. So Isabel Castro, congratulations on Miha, one of the big hits out of Sundance. This is an incredible documentary. Um, I really enjoyed watching it. And just for people who don't know what it's about, can you give just a quick rundown? Um, first of all, just thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm really excited for the conversation. Um, and uh, Miha is about um, a music manager who supports her um, undocumented family by discovering young pop musicians. and. One of the one of the musicians that she discovers is also a daughter of immigrants, and so through both of their stories, we kind of explore different aspects of it of what it means to be the daughter of immigrants in this country. It's just an astonishing story, and it's a great music story. But then the stakes are so much higher than that. And this is kind of embarrassing to admit. I was 15 minutes in before I realized I was watching a documentary. <laughs> I thought I was watching a really good feature. How did you get that level of access and that level of just fly on the wall where it doesn't even feel like where uh, you don't feel the presence of the camera at all. It feels like you're just in people's lives. Um, <clears throat> well, thank you again. I, um, I, so I think a lot of the intimacy comes from the fact that I, in the process of making this film um, have become close to the subjects of the film. I think that um, I relate a lot to their stories for different reasons. Um, you know, the most notable, which is that like, I am very close in age. I too am a Mexican immigrant. And I think that those, uh, our similarities created kind of a bond that allowed me to access their lives in a very intimate way. Um, I think that the cinematography is another thing that might lend itself to not feeling like a documentary. It was really important to me for the film to um, really, at least for me to push the, um, uh, the style of the cinematography. Um, I shot um, most of the film and I, like drew so much inspiration, mostly from narrative um, features and from other kind of 
visual arts mediums. Um, and I, I, I wanted it to look, I wanted it to look very cinematic because um, I wanted it to feel like a different kind of immigration story. Like I, I've been covering immigration for a long time. I, I uh, consume a lot of media about immigration stories and I've, I've like started to notice a trend in, in the work and in my work in terms of the tone and the style of how those stories are told. Um, and so for this one, I just, I really wanted to push myself to have it look different. When you talk about the tone and the style, I don't wanna put words in your mouth, but a, a lot of times it feels like there's this distance and this like, we're watching this incredible tragedy and um, there's, there's nothing that these people can do for themselves. And, and in this film, that's not the case at all. You have your main character, Doris, who is carrying her whole family on her shoulders and making an incredible difference. I mean, I'm like, I, I'm like getting a little emotional thinking about like her father's reaction at certain points to some of the things that she does. Um, did you go for that? Did you think about that intentionally or were you just reflecting the reality of the situation? No, I mean, that was that I'm, I'm so thankful that you pointed that out because that was, that was very central to the, the story that I wanted to tell. Um, I, I wanted to really give all of the subjects in the film agency. Um, I think that that's something that lacks a lot from immigration storytelling is that, you know, these immigration policies are incredibly volatile um, and unstable and um, and like really threaten people's livelihoods. But at the same time, like, uh, you know, the immigrant community in the United States, we, they, they're still like, I, I still wanted to show that there was power and agency um, and um, and not kind of have the, the, the story live at all in victimhood. Um, um, which is which is one of the things that I uh, again have just kind of noticed in in immigration stories in the ways that they're told is that um, they 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 base the story in victimhood and you know even though Doris's family uh, and Jax's family they're they're all enduring different versions of family separation um, they um, you know. They, they are not victims and they don't consider themselves victims and they, they have power. Well, it's also, despite how hard the, str the struggles are that people are going through, this is a pleasurable movie to watch. I mean, it starts off in a party store. Jack's Hops music is like, how do I say that? Is it hot? Jack's hot? Jack's Hops, yeah. The way that she, um, her music is like the bounciest Lana Del Rey music. It's like, it's very fun music. So it's not, you know, woe is me at any point in this movie. Um, I'd, I'd love to talk about how you got the access to Jax because there's a part where, where Doris reaches out to her on Instagram and then there's this shift to Jax's perspective where I don't know if they've even met yet. Did you meet Jax before Doris met Jax? I did, yeah. I, did. <laughs> I, I think that's one of the most, um, I think in the film that's probably one of the most unconventional parts of the story, just in the sense that um, uh, I wanted to, so the, the way that I met Jax was through Doris. I, I mean, basically Doris had been listening to her music nonstop 
she was at this real kind of uh, moment in her career where she was reevaluating what she wanted to do and didn't know what she wanted to do um, and was thinking about leaving management. Um, and yet, you know, she was still kind of being pulled to discovery. Like, I think that the thing about Doris is like, she's like, um, she's like a metal detector for talent. It's just, she's really, really, really talented at it. Um, and so even though she was um, wanting to leave management, she, she still kind of had that, that bug where she, she found this musician, she found Jax on Instagram and she just was kind of like ruminating about her. And, um, and it came at a time in production where I thought it was gonna be, um, you know, I really wanted to spend time, not just with Doris, but with the musicians that she mentors because she's very intentional about the musicians that she finds. Like she, she finds musicians that have gone through similar experiences as herself. Yeah. Um, and, so, um, and so I started listening to Jax's music and then I started digging in a little bit and I was like, oh my God, this, this girl is not just amazing. Like there's a possibility here that this, this musician could kind of, you know, serve that role in this film. Um, and so with, with Doris's permission, I actually reached out to her before Doris did. Um, <laughs> the, the other reason I did that was because, um, uh, and I've talked about this with Doris. I mean, Doris is a manager, like, and uh, uh, was a manager, she, like that's how she's built. And as a manager, like part of your job is fielding media requests um, mm -hmm. and kind of like really, you know, it, it's, it, yeah, I have a manager too, like, it, and my manager protects me from people, you know, like, and I think, um, and I think that the, the thing that I had um, struggled with is that uh, Doris being the manager, it, it kind of, um, it, it was difficult for me to like emotionally access the musicians that she was working with mm -hmm. as much as I was able to access her. Um, because like in a way she was kind of like just used to and accustomed to kind of navigating like a bit kind of putting up a wall between a camera and a client um yeah. and um and I filmed with other musicians that she'd worked with previously and and it was really important to me that I like establish a a relationship with the character themselves so I too could access so I could access their emotional Kind of landscape um and so and so i talked to doris about it and i i told her like I, I i'd like to reach out to her first i'd like to go meet her first and then you know i'll i'll tell you how it goes and then based on how how it goes like you you, you can either reach out to her or not I, it's kind of i'll go on a scouting trip um and yeah. <laughs> and then um and then i mean i you see her in the film i mean she's just I, I, we immediately fell in love with her for, you know, with her and the film and the music. And, um, and so that, that kind of explains, um, that explains that section of the film where you, you meet Jax before Doris does. Yeah. I mean, she has this quality where she's just so open and so excited about music and there's just no jadedness at all. It, it, it feels like you're seeing 
you know, Madonna when she's 17 or something. It's like, she just seems like such a real person. Um, but you can also imagine, oh yeah, especially in the video, you're like, oh yeah, I could see how she could be a huge star. Like, totally. You know, this, her video could come on and everybody would stop and go, who's this? Um, yeah. I, mean, I, I certainly did that. And that's what drew me to her. I, I, I believe that she will be a big star because I, not only can I not stop listening to her music, but like she has this on screen and in-person charisma. That's just, it's completely, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like I'm meeting someone before they're going to be famous. I hope she remembers me. <laughs> <laughs> so when you go to her, and say, hey, I'm making a documentary. Do you say, I'm making a documentary about a manager who's going to call you soon? Or do you just say, I'm doing a documentary about music? Or what do you say? I told her I was making it and, and it was the truth. I, you know, the, the film is centered on Doris, um, but the film ultimately is about the community and, um, and um, it, it certainly, I mean, I always knew Doris was going to be a central figure in the film. I think over time she became, you know, she has the, she, she has a voiceover and it, it very much becomes the infrastructure of this film is based around her, her family. But, um, but as she was one, you know, she, her story is reflective of that of like, millions of people in the United States. And it was really important for me to show that <clears throat> part of the reason that Doris has been successful and part of the reason um, that she's so motivated to like support musicians like Kuko and Jax is because um, there's a universality to their story that I feel like is not often shown on, on televisions and on in theaters and yeah. um, and so that's just to say that when I reach out to Jax, you know, I told her that I'd, I'd just you know, found, seen her music because of this film I was making and because of this music manager. I told her that this music manager had been Kuko's manager. Um, and I told her like, you know, I, I'm interested in seeing your kind of evolution as an artist. Um, and I'm, I, I'm not sure if Doris is gonna, work with you or not. And actually um, it, it's, it, you know, documentary, you have to simplify some things. Doris doesn't actually end up managing her. She just becomes a mentor for her. Um, but I always knew that, um, that like, if she said yes, I would figure out a way to intertwine their stories. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so that was my pitch. My pitch was, was about like, the film being about what it means to be the daughter of immigrants. And for Jax, it was really, that really resonated with her. And it's, it's what convinced her to be a, a part of the film. One thing I love, and I don't know if this is, maybe people want to skip a little bit. If this seems like a spoiler, I don't think it's a huge spoiler. Um, it seems like this is going to be a story about, you know, is Jax going to make it? And then it turns into a story about something that's on a human level, on Doris's emotional level and the people that were invested in in this movie is so much more important. What's going to happen to her parents and what's going to happen to her brother? And there's such a just, again, I don't want to, I'm not going to ruin the movie for anybody, but it is so emotional where it goes. It's one of, the, there's a scene of opening letters that is one of the most emotional things I've ever seen in a movie and is so incredibly powerful. Did you find that narrative along the way did you know that was going to be the narrative did you sort of plan 
I'm going to start off with it seeming like it's maybe this type of movie, and then it's going to turn into this other type of movie, which is actually even more effective. Um, that was that was extremely intentional. So I I come from I come from uh, a background of telling stories about immigration. I come from a journalism background. I mean, I've worked um, for uh, Vice on HBO and the New York Times. I have like a traditional journalism immigration policy understanding yeah. of, of the immigration landscape. Um, I, when I was developing this story, it was really important for me to try to, well, what motivated me in finding this story was to find a story that um, used kind of like diversion tactics. Mm -hmm. um, and by that, I mean that like, the central themes of the film are about immigration and what it means um, from an intergenerational perspective and from a mixed status perspective. But when you hear that, it sounds really boring, you know? Um, and so I was trying to figure out a way to make that more exciting. And it, like you said earlier in our, in our talk, like a little bit less, uh, woe is me, like I just wanted it totally to feel very vibrant and entertaining. And I thought like, what, what, like the, the best thing I know that might be able to access that is music. I mean, I've always been a big um, music fan and, um, and I felt like it was a way for the film to be marketed and put out into the world as a music doc and hopefully draw audiences that might not sit down to watch a film about what it means to be an intergenerational mixed status family. Um, and so, um, so that was always very intentional. And so I, I'm happy that it seemed like it, um, it, it, it succeeded in that. Like, I, I, I think it was like, you know, I, it leads with like, okay, are these musicians gonna make it? And then in the process of that, you kind of explore all these much more nuanced aspects of what it means to chase your dreams and to chase the, and I'll put it in air quote, uh, American dream. Yeah. Did you ever, this might be like more of a very specific Gen X thing, but did you ever read Ego Trip magazine? No. Oh, okay. It's, it's this magazine, that, this 90s hip hop magazine, and they always build themselves as a magazine about race disguised as a magazine about hip hop. And it oh, was that's so cool. Ego trip. It was so funny and so good. You remember that list that went around a little while ago where I forget who it was, but it, he was like rating rappers and he rated um, Lauren Hill as like a 98. And that was the big, um, that was the big thing on Twitter last week. Um, oh that was from Ego. I'm, ter I'm terrified of Twitter. So I'm like so scared of it. So I, I, I try not to look at it, but uh, that's crazy. Yeah, it's, it's just such a great way to get people to talk about things in a way that's, I don't want to say fun, but not, yeah. it doesn't feel like school, which I think is right. just so important to get people to have real conversations because nobody wants to, everybody's scared to go to school, honestly, like it's. Totally, and, and I think, and I, 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 I mean, you hit it, the nail on the head. And I, I think that the other thing is that immigration is a really, really divisive topic and the other thing that has really frustrated me about the way this, the ways that people talk about it 
is that they make it, they turn it into a bias, exclusively a bipartisan conversation. Mm -hmm. um, and so in this film, we completely avoided politics um, to the best of our ability. I mean, all storytelling in, in a way is political, but at least in like uh, talking about it in the, you know, a bipartisan framework. Um, and, um, and that was, that was, uh, that was because I just wanted this experience to be rooted in like the emotional truths. Um, and, and my hope is that uh, a mixture of that in addition to what we were just discussing, like kind of being able to talk about kind of more serious topics through the lens of something that seems just entertaining. Um, my hope is that it'll bring new audiences into this conversation um, and, and might allow for people to connect to the conversation in an emotional way as opposed to a political way. I mean, good luck. I hope that happens. I really hope that happens because it it's so incredibly unhelpful when it just becomes a political issue and doesn't become a, look, you have a family. Wouldn't you do anything you could to help your family? Like, wouldn't you cross a border to help your family? You would. If you, if I don't care who's listening to this, if it would help your family to go to another country, you would do it in a heartbeat. It would not in a heartbeat because it's not an easy thing to do, but you would do it. Mm -hmm. It's just, I don't know. I feel like that gets lost. And I feel like the more people who watch the experience, especially of Doris's parents, I don't know how you cannot be moved by that. What, how did they feel about being on camera? I mean, you got such access to the family and everybody seems cool with you being there. Nobody seems conscious. Of <laughs> how did, were you just around constantly until they forgot you constantly, were there? Constantly, constantly. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I really lucked out in the sense that Doris, by the time I started filming with her, you know, had been in a public sphere. Like that, that was like, uh, I mean, that was a, a relatively new experience was filming with someone who was so used to kind of like, she's just very media literate. And, um, and it, was, it, it was a new challenge for me to like try to access her emotional vulnerability. Um, that said, what it afforded us is like uh, her family kind of already understood the value and importance of, of storytelling and the value and importance of uh, documentary filmmaking and journalism. Um, and because Doris had spent years kind of explaining that to them um, for, you know, other stories that she had told about their, their, uh, their experiences. Um, and she had been telling those stories as a way to try to raise money to pay for their legal fees. Um, she started this uh, sh uh, benefit show called San uh, Selena for Sanctuary, which is in which is in the film, um, which allowed her initially to raise um, money for her family, and then started as kind of a fundraiser for various um, immigration organizations. All of that said, along the way, her family kind of, you know decided and agreed that it was important for them to tell their story. Um, so I was very lucky that that's when I met them. I think um, they, they, they also just made it easy because they're just so warm. Like, and, um, and it, wasn't, it wasn't intentional to the extent that I did it. Like I, I knew it was gonna be a small crew. I did not realize it was mostly just gonna be me. Um, and sometimes 
uh, one of my producers, um, because of the pandemic, like we were forced to kind of have a very small crew. Yeah. Um, um, but most of the time, a lot of the time, it was just me with my camera and they just got used to it. Like, and I, I, the, 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 the way that I kind of describe it, I've never been in front of, well, I've never been in front of the camera to the extent that they have. Um, mm. And I have so much, I mean, I have so much respect and admiration for people that do it because it's, it, it's like an incredibly vulnerable thing to do. Um, uh, but I do think that the way that other people have described it to me that have been on the other side of my camera is that it's a little bit like a windshield that has a crack on it. Like, mm. and the crack being the camera, like initially you just constantly, it's like when you drop your phone and you like immediately, you can only focus on the crack and like that's, you immediately just focus on the camera. And then with time, you just get used to it. Like everyone who has a crack phone can kind of relate to the fact that like over time, you just kind of ignore that it's there and forget that it's there. Um, I don't know if that's an adequate metaphor, but it, it, it in some ways makes has, has made me understand it better that mm. like it's, it's always there, but it, you kind of like, you, you integrate it, like it becomes normalized. Um, and I think, um, and, and again, in the course of filming with them, I also just became really close with them. Like I, I became an extended part of the, I, I feel like I became an extended part of the family. Um, I, and I think everybody who sees this movie is going to immediately follow Doris on Instagram and follow, she also has a group that's working for immigration on Instagram. Um, uh, Jax is on Instagram. Um, I don't know if you're on Instagram, but if you are. <laughs> I, am, I am on Instagram. I, like I said earlier, I'm terrified of social media. I have Instagram. I have Twitter. Feel free to follow. I am, I am considering making it public, but if not, I will accept your, I will accept your request. Uh, I don't know why I just have a weird. Uh, Amen. Fear. <laughs> but, totally get it. Totally get it. But I'm there. The, the reason I ask is because the reason I did that is because I was immediately curious, like, where are they now? Like, how are they doing now? Um, and one of the main things I wonder is, did things get better with Jackson or parents? Um, they weren't super supportive of her career. And I understand why. I mean, they didn't think it was a practical outlet, but has that improved at all since the movie? Um, I think, I, I think that there's, you know, that, that sh they're still struggling with understanding, um, understanding her career and I don't I don't fault them like I what I love about uh, their story and particularly one scene is just that like one scene in the film is that I've heard a lot from immigrant parents including my own being like you know her parents are totally I can totally understand them um, and I've had versions of that phone call with my parents too um, that uh, that said, I think that her parents are still, you know, again, I, I don't fault them, but they're still um, grappling with understanding how this is all going to shake out. Like, and that's, there's a line in the film um, that's when, when you've never seen someone like you succeed, it feels impossible. And that's kind of directly really, you know, speaking to their, disapproval of her career is that you know they they sacrifice so much to come to this country and then it's it, you know you want to think you and I've talked even I've talked with this with my parents I think any creative is going to relate to this like 
convincing your parents that like the more unstable road um, can pay off either financially or emotionally. And, and for, for kids of immigrants, those things are, uh, that's certainly exacerbated. Um, yeah. That's just to say um, they're still struggling with it, but, um, but she's still performing. She's still doing work. I think she, uh, she she's in Texas, um, but she just came out for the premiere and she performed <laughs> last night to like, a, like a wildly, uh, like, I mean, a wild audience. We were just so, so excited. Um, and um, Doris is actually, um, it's not in the film, but she is now trying to launch her own music career, which has always been a dream of hers. And you kind of get a taste for it at the end of the, of the film. She has just, she's got an incredible voice. And so she's actually, she's going on tour on Monday. Oh my God. I know, girlfriend knows how to, <laughs> she's, she's it, talk about ambition I mean we just had this big Sundance premiere and she's about to go on tour so she's releasing her music Jax is uh releasing her album soon and her EP soon um and my hope is you know my hope is that they both just blow up and um particularly Jax who doesn't have uh the same community in Texas I just I hope you know if, there, if there's a uh a label out there <laughs> hearing me hearing this um I just but I don't I don't really need think she needs too much of our help I think she I think <laughs> anyone that sees this movie or listens to her music is gonna see star power because I mean she's gonna be a big star so they're doing good um they're and um and they're just really excited for the movie to get out into the world I had no idea about Doris, but that makes so much sense. That makes so much sense. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Uh, what's next for the movie? <laughs> um, <laughs> what's next for the movie? Um, well, we're, we're doing a festival circuit. Um, so you can catch the film, um, hopefully at a couple festivals near you. Um, and uh, we're, you know, we're trying to find a wider audience for it. So we're kind of in conversations about that now. Um, and um, hopefully it'll be, you know, accessible to to a wide audience soon. Um, but those details are, are to be announced. That was Isabel Castro. Hopefully the last thing she said means that someone is about to pay a lot of money for this movie and broadcast it as widely as possible so a lot of people can see it. I really urge you to check it out any way you can, anywhere you can. I think she has a really thrilling future as a movie maker. I think Miha deserves the widest audience possible. And I also can't wait to hear more music from Doris and Jax. Uh, if you see this film, I think you will feel the same. If you want to subscribe, we'd be grateful. If you can forward this to a friend, we love that too. And visit us anytime at moviemaker.com for more interviews like this one. Thank you so, so much for listening. And see you soon.